Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy D. Kim is a Harvard-trained ethicist and co-founder of 180 Church NYC. He is a Yale Hastings Scholar at the Yale Interdisciplinary Center for Bioethics and the Hastings Center, where he explores the inequities surrounding health, immigration, and social policies, along with professional burnout. He is also a regular contributor to Christianity Today. For more information, please visit his website at samdkim.com. Hello, 180 Church. Um, welcome back to our second round of remote service. I want to remind you before we go into our time of uh, worship that we will be meeting at the Great Hill in Central Park on June 25th and we will be returning back at the theater on July 2nd. So we'll see you there. So we have been listening to Dr. Tim Keller's uh, interview on his latest book, Forgive. Um, and we have heard many reports of how it's impacted many of you. And I pray that God will continue to speak to all of us on this issue of forgiveness and forgiving. Um, but before we go into it, let's practice the rule of life. Let's close our eyes and exhale. All the ruminating thoughts every thought of distraction, every interruption that keeps us from this present moment of tuning in to God. And let's lay it at the feet of Jesus and breathe in. Let's inhale the power and the work of God, trusting in his promise and his work, and let's draw near to him. Amen. You know, the only part of the Lord's Prayer that ever gets repeated, uh, it, you know, when Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer, he always then always repeats at the very end, and, and, and I want you to know that you, my Father's forgiveness of you and your forgiveness of others are linked. I mean, mm. he says it different ways, but Jesus is basically saying those two things are linked. Yeah. If you think God's forgiven you, but you can't forgive other people, I'm not sure you have asked for God's forgiveness. I'm not sure you've repented, because if you repent, you you know you're a sinner, and if you can't forgive, then you can say, oh, God's forgiven me. I don't know that he has. So it, uh, I, that just goes right through you. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant as I have mercy on you? And uh, and also the difference between this infinite debt that we owe God and the, the smaller debt. That's the heart of the whole thing. You had another really impactful story right here in new york we're hearing some of the ambient sounds of sirens and what you know this is an active city isn't it john <laughs> very active <laughs> yeah, I know. but you had a story of a new york gang member young man yeah, yeah. who uh demonstrated incredible forgiveness and describe that story and where where does a what i would decide or believe would be his unbelieving heart but you, he can demonstrate some powerful godly truths even if he doesn't have a faith in christ well you know there's actually two stories one in there was a uh, a uh, a policeman who was trying to break something up and was uh injured by a kid you know a, a, an inner city youth and he was paralyzed the rest of his life and um 
it's interesting. He tried to talk to the kid in prison. He tried to write him in prison and the guy wouldn't talk to him. And then weirdly enough, he got out and then died in a car accident, in a motorcycle yeah. accident. Huh. And then there was another one where the boy was, um, uh, he wasn't hurt by the, it wasn't the police. He was hurt by other gang members and he, um, was also paralyzed and he, he also forgave. And in both cases, the boy forgave the people who had, had, um, uh, basically paralyzed him. And the, the, the policeman had forgiven the boy, the, the, the youth who had, uh, uh, harmed him. In fact, interesting, the policeman looking back said, I, I now actually realize that it did look pretty racist for me just to show up at these poor kids' places of uh, where they were huh. playing and where they were living. And he, he wasn't just convicted that he needed to become a Christian and forgive, but even that he actually had been a person who was sort of guilty of injustice. Yeah. So it's, it's all those, uh, it's never just I've forgiven. Yeah. But usually there's a, a humbling that happens and a new, a new way of understanding themselves. Yeah. So forgiveness is really transformational. It doesn't just reconcile you to other people. It actually gives you a completely different approach. Well, and I, I think the purpose in me asking about those stories is really to set this question up. And that is, how, how do you know when you have not or you have? Uh truly forgiven somebody, it, there can be a bit of fuzziness about oh, yeah. that. I'll give you a quick example for me. When I speak about my childhood and my dad, the alcoholic, and they divorced my mom and dad, and men who are 60 and 70 years old will be in this line, and they'll come up to me in tears saying, I've never been able to forgive my father. Yeah. And I, it's a hard one for me. That, what do you say? I mean, you have to let it go. You have to not hold that against them. You've got to forgive them. But there is a lot of that, Tim, in the yeah. Christian culture, just these grievances that we really haven't dealt with. So how do we know, A, that they exist, and then B, if we've actually forgiven? Right. I don't think there's a bright line. Here's what I'll do. Shorthand, here's my pastoral advice to somebody. I will say, and it's in the book, forgiveness is granted before it's felt. See, mo most people say, I, I'm still mad, uh -huh. so I haven't forgiven. So I say, okay, for a moment, why don't we uh, separate the two? Is, is it, because some people would say, since I'm still mad, I can't forgive. And I'll say, no, forgiveness is something you can grant before you actually feel it. That's hmm. very important. Actually, well, what does it mean to grant? Okay, forgiveness is a, is a, a kind of commit, it's a commitment. Um, in principle, the commitment is, I am not going to take revenge on this person. I am not going to make this person pay. Okay? In other words, that's, how, that's, that's the definition of any forgiveness. I mean, in the book, I try to say, if uh, somebody knocks your lamp over, it's $50, and they say, oh, I'm so sorry, you can either say, yes, so that'll be $50, please, or you can say, forget it, which means you forgive them, but then you have to go out and buy the lamp. The $50 doesn't go away. Right. Or, or maybe you go in darkness, but the point is somebody pays. And when forgiveness is always, always deciding I'm not going to make the other person pay, I'm going to absorb it. But to really grant forgiveness day in and day out is to make a commitment to do three things. Not to keep bringing the matter up to the person. Not to keep bringing the matter up to other people to try to kind of run them down 
you know, get back at them by hurting their reputation and not to keep bringing it up over and over again to yourself. So what that means is I, if I find myself thinking about it too much, I say, no, I'm not going to do that. It's a commitment to yourself. Uh, if I find myself kind of having an opportunity to run the person down to somebody else, I'm not going to do that. And if I have an opportunity to use this against, this especially happens, by the way, in marriage. I, boy, I, know, I was thinking that. I know that. you're going to think about that. In other words, something you say, if, you're, if your spouse says, please forgive me, honey, for that, and you say yes, then you can't bring it up again f six months later. You must not bring it up six months later. And here's the thing. If you actually make, follow through on those commitments, you'll feel the anger diminishing over time. Mm. If you don't make those three commitments, the anger, I think, stays a very, very long time. So it's granted before it's felt. It's The granting is basically, I'm not going to take revenge, but in actual day in and day out, it means just refusing to go in those directions. And I don't think the forgiveness is hard. It, it's harder the less God is real to you, and it's easier the more he's real to you. Boy, Sorry. that is a good statement right there. Yeah. That's powerful. And I think that, that also, um, in interviewing a lot of women on the theme of marriage and parenting. The one thing that I've noticed, and you know this, John, they have an incredible capacity to look at themselves first. I think we as men, we kind of have the ego that says, that's the other guy's fault. But yeah. in that context, the question of how to forgive yourself. Um, I'm not the good mom. I'm not the perfect wife. I'm not a good husband. Where does that forgiveness for self come yeah, in? Yeah, where does that come if somebody's asking me that, I'm not going to, uh, I'm going to work with them. I'm not sure that I think it's the best way of talking about it. Huh. Uh, now, if you're R.C. Sproul, what R.C. used to do is used to say, if somebody said, I have, uh, I know God's forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself. And he says, so you have higher standards than God, huh? <laughs> it's a little, which I thought was a little bit, I don't know. I'm not sure that's the best bedside manner. Somebody's really struggling, but he's right. No, at the core, it, what you're saying it, is you're... You're really saying, I have higher standards than God. I mean, people, well, wait a minute. No, I can't. I don't have high... So what it, what, here's what's going on, I think. Generally speaking, there's, a, there's another God going on here. God's forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself. Okay, if your real God is your career and you did something really stupid, and you're probably never going to get your career back on track. And your self-image is not so much based on, I'm a child of God. It's based on, I'm a successful... I'm an achiever. Whatever, right. Yeah. And now I haven't achieved, and I can't forgive myself. What you've really got here is an idol. And see, false gods can't forgive. Hmm. See, what I always like to say to people is, the reason why it'd be better to, say, to serve Jesus rather than your, your career or anything else is Jesus, if you screw up, well, first of all, <laughs> if you get him, he actually satisfies you. You, you know, the C.S. Lewis thing is you get to the top of your career or you become as beautiful as you want to be or you get everything you want. It's never say, enough. It's never enough. Jesus is the only God that if you get him, will satisfy you. And if you fail him, will forgive you. Your career will never forgive you for your sins. Mm. Your career will punish you the rest of your life if that's your God. And so I, it takes me a while with people. I can't just jump in and say, oh, you must be, there must be some idolatry here. You know, I mean, in other words, I would yeah. never go in that way fast. Uh, and you might even, actually, if you know the person well and they're not in too much 
trouble. You might do the, the RC, it's almost like a joke saying, so you have higher standards than God? If, you know, and no, I guess not. I mean, sometimes that actually helps. Yeah. But in most cases, it's usually something that they've given their heart way too much to. Yeah. And it is punishing them because it, they failed that false God. And that's, that's where a lot of that, that comes is, from. It's really insightful. I mean, it's a test for idolatry. I mean, that is really powerful. Yes. Actually, any inordinate emotion that you can't get rid of. So uh, inordinate bitterness actually can be, towards somebody else, can mean um, that this is an idol. Inordinate fear, I'm going to lose it. Inordinate guilt, that oh, I failed. And you just, inordinate meaning it just doesn't seem to be resolvable. Right. Very often there's some, there's some kind of idolatry. That's something. Let me, let me go back for a moment where you have that conflict with another person and your forgiveness is dependent upon that person's response. Is, ah. Can that be okay or is that unhealthy if back to the groveling, but there may be some more subtle things like that, that right. it, it, it's only going to work if you demonstrate a certain action, Yeah. then I'll forgive you. Yeah, I'm really glad you got there. There's, there's two verses that look like they're contradictions. Mark 11:25 says, Jesus says, if you're standing and praying and you realize you've got anything against anyone, forgive them. And it doesn't seem to have any conditions, just you have to forgive them. Luke 17 is where it says, if a person repents, you should forgive them. Even if they do it over and over, you forgive them. And so it looks like one is saying you don't have to forgive till they repent. The other one looks like it says you have to forgive whether they repent or not. And my, my dear departed friend, David Pallison, I don't know if you knew who he was, but yeah. he is a counselor who died recently. Actually, I think he died of pancreatic cancer. Oh, but my. anyway, He said there's an internal forgiveness that you do before, immediately, that's Mark 11:25, where you make those commitments we were talking about before, not to keep bringing it up to yourself and others, where you say, I'm not gonna pay back, and you forgive, but then you do need to go. Be, uh, for the person's sake, for God's sake, for others' sake, and say, you did something here that you really, I don't think you should have done. Now, if you go to them, having forgiven, they still may get their back up and just not want to talk to you. Uh, if you go to them kind of unforgiving and kind of vengeful saying, do you know what you did to me? They, they will definitely get their back up and not listen to you. But if you go to them forgiven, forgiving and gracious and all that, they might actually start to say, oh, I didn't realize that. I'm so sorry. And they change and you reconcile. Great. But Romans 12, 18 says, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all. And what that means is you take whatever you get. If mm. the person does not respond well or doesn't want to talk about it or even responds very poorly, you know, in a way that's really kind of half, half wrong, you know, it, I think what you say is I got whatever I can get and I'm still going to, I'm going to be forgiving and I'm going to try to be as open to the person as I possibly can. Wait, in that respect, I'm thinking of circumstances I've been involved in where you're extending an olive branch and it gets bitten off, you know, so you do it again and maybe a third time. Is there a time that you can say, okay, I gave it my best shot and it's just not happening and you stop extending the olive branch? I think it, that's a judgment call. As long as you say that the, the door is 
you know, still opens. But it may have to come from the other direction. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's right. In other words, I, I think, I don't know how often. Right. Um, you know, the, first, the Matthew 18 thing where you go to the person and if they don't listen to you, you take somebody and if they don't listen to you, tell it to the church. Most people do not really meet, think that Jesus is saying you get, you get three tries. Right. You know, they, they, it certainly looks like a process. And surely in different situations you would take longer and do it more often. Or, But it is true that you don't want, it's never loving to make it easy for someone to sin against you. Huh. It's not loving to that person. And I have seen some people, you know, say, I'm just trying to, put out the olive branch, but basically they're just getting clobbered right. every single time. And I said, I don't think it makes, it's not helping the perpetrator by making it so easy for the perpetrator to despise you and yell at you. And I don't know that that's, that's a good idea. Yeah, it's an interesting perspective. You're emboldening them to continue yeah, the behavior that hurts other people. Let me ask you this. One of the hardest things for people to do is to confront someone lovingly. And I think, again, yeah. Is there a difference between a, confronting a non-believer and mm-hmm. someone within the community of Christ? And, uh, you know, the scenario makes all the difference. And I, I, I'm just thinking about, do you go about it differently? Because on the one hand, I can remember a Christian leader saying to me, who's going to hold them accountable to God's righteousness? And that would be the response to loving your neighbor, you know, without perhaps without any boundaries. So how do, you, how do you engage, I guess, that accountability between the world and the church, yeah. the fellow well, believer? Certainly, I do think that if you have another professing believer who you think has wronged you, I think the Matthew 18 stuff is that uh, you, you are both accountable to God, you're both accountable to the Scripture. You might be in the same church, maybe not. But I do think you... The, re- the reconciliation uh, attempt can go on longer. You know, you, you have more resources. You probably should, should not give up on it. Your brother and sister or brothers or sisters in Christ. Uh, I do think somebody outside, uh, there's a limit to what you can appeal to when you're talking to them. You know, I mean, with, with a Christian, you've got all that. You've got the Word of God and you've got so many other, you've got better arguments for why you shouldn't have done that. Right. Um, and so I guess I would just say that reconciliation, you shouldn't give up as soon. You should spend more time with it. You've got more resources for a Christian. So in some ways, it's easier than with a non-Christian because with a non-Christian, you don't have as many resources. You don't have as good arguments. But I would say the, here's the problem with the Christian who's wronged you versus the non-Christian. With the non-Christian, you say, well, you know, I don't know whether they know any better. I mean, you know the place where Treebeard in Lord of the Rings says, a wizard should know better? <laughs> right. You know? He says, you're, wait a minute. You've done all this to the trees. And wait a minute. You, you're a wizard. You're not just somebody else. You're not just somebody else. You're a wizard. You should know better. And I do think that Christians very often find it very difficult to forgive other Christians for that very reason. You say, come on. Yeah. So it's easier and harder. So they, they're just different. You know, one of the uh, arguments I've heard back when I worked in the business world, this was really interesting. I, I knew a number of secular business people, and they would say to me, you know, most of the Christian business people I've worked with, they wronged me. They cost me money. They didn't pay me back or something like that. And so that's why I don't pursue God. 
And I start smiling at them. And I can remember doing this several times. And that irritated them. And they'd look at me and I'd say, well, it's kind of foolish to keep eternal life from you because somebody didn't live it well. Mm. You know, So using the argument that somebody didn't live their Christian faith properly in your eyes is no argument not to pursue a relationship no, with God. No. And, you know, <laughs> what I always try to—I mean, again, this, this may not be the best bedside manner, but I said, ah, when somebody says, well, this happened, that happened, that's why I, I find Christianity, I said, so that convinced you that Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, I said, yeah. I said, now, wh- wait a minute, it's a non sequitur. Just, okay, so this, this ostensibly Christian businessman, you know, cheated you. So that means you said, ah, that just proves that Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. So you really ought to go look at the evidence <laughs> right. for the Christian faith instead of just say, yeah. you know, that guy he was, was, a, was a hypocrite. Right. So it, it, so I, much wiser. I kind of understand it. I mean, there's no doubt. We, we do believe that if you're an attractive person, you attract people to Christ. But sometimes I think people are not very logical when they, when they just say, oh, look at that person. They say he's a Christian. That shows there's nothing to it. Well, yeah. you know, I mean, they're quack, medi- they're quack doctors. That doesn't mean medicine is, yeah. is, is a bogus thing. Dr. Keller, somebody has been listening along and they might have been influenced by something you've said, but they just can't get to that point of forgiving somebody who has really wounded them. They're still stuck. Yeah. Then you get a conversation partner. I'm not saying it doesn't have to be a necessarily professional counselor. Get a conversation partner who you think, first of all, maybe has had to forgive. You Find somebody that you know seems to have forgiven something that would hurt them. Uh, find a conversation partner who's a mature Christian and open up. And I, I just think, uh, I think you probably ought to be talking with somebody about it rather than just, uh, hmm. ju- I, I really do. Now, I'm hoping the book might be of help. Sure, uh, sure. And even though, you know, Jim Daly is quite an, you know, he really can interrogate you. <laughs> I want you to know, however, he didn't get me to say everything that's in the book. Yeah. Uh, Tim, the last question here, because uh, it's such a good illustration. In the book, you mentioned a story about an Australian medical missionary, uh, which was very oh. powerful. So we don't want to miss that one. In India. And there's other stories, but uh, let's hit that one right at the end, because, again, it makes such an impact. Yeah, the uh, it was an Australian uh, medical missionary family that was uh, quite a number of years ago that was in India working with um, lepers and, and a lot of very, very poor people didn't have good medical treatment. Something that still happens today, I'm afraid, was a, a, an anti-Christian mob um, found the husband and I think two sons. And the two sons were with the father in a car and they surrounded the car and, 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 mm. and killed them. Surrounded the car and killed them. And the mother and her daughter, after they've discovered this, said, we're going to stay here and we're going to continue the work. And eventually they, they formed a hospital. Uh, they stayed, she stayed her, in her entire life and uh, daughter grew up there. And they just said, we, you know, this is not going to stop us from loving these people. And, of course, today they are venerated by, by the way, by the Hindu 
um, government, which today is actually still pretty hostile to Christians. Hmm. And yet they got, I forget what the name of them is. There's some highest order of merit that was given to uh, her for, for staying there and doing all this uh, uh, health care for the poor of India. It is pretty remarkable. That is and remarkable. And she, she, when she was being covered, it was, it was big news, of course, at the time. And she says, well, we're going to forgive and we're going to stay. And forgiveness is an act of self-denial. But we live in a culture that continually says self-assertion, self-assertion. Don't let anybody make you feel guilty. Don't let anybody walk all over you. Don't let anybody keep you from what you want. In a culture of self-assertion, we will become more and more incapable of forgiveness. And Christians will more and more be a counterculture in which forgiveness is still possible. And I think, I think Christians, therefore, can be salt and light in this country if we're still able to forgive, but not if we start to use all the same belligerent sort of language that everybody else is using. Kind of ending where we started when I said that we're in the Christian community, we're use, trying to use carnal tools to battle carnal you, people. You did say that. I did. How wise of you. To, and then <laughs> expecting a spiritual result. No, you're right. You totally. got to use spiritual tools to get a spiritual result. Totally right. <laughs> Tim, it's so good to be with you. Thank you. I mean, when you say thank you for your time, that can often be a throwaway line. But given what's happening in your life and where God has you right now, Thank you for your time. Well, thank you for actually coming all the way. It's all right. <laughs> Just yards from where I live in order to have a live interview. I was amazed. If you're well, gonna, I said, if you're going to do that, okay. Well, that I was kind. That was a powerful message. We learn from life and relationships that none of us are exempt from forgiving and needing forgiveness. But how do we do it? He brings up some tough points about forgiveness. How and what does it look like in different circumstances where you've been deeply hurt or when the perpetrator is unaware or you are in a place of not being able to make peace? We can forgive as an act of obedience. We forgive because we have been forgiven by God of everything we have done, aware and unaware. But forgiveness isn't always followed by a feeling of catharsis. I love what he said that forgiveness is granted before it is felt. The feelings don't always follow forgiveness right away. And it is a process of letting go, working it out, doing the best you can in the situation with those who we may have hurt and or have hurt us. It can get complicated and it is a process as it is the discipline of the heart. But when we practice it, it will draw us closer to the heart of Jesus, to love God, and to love others better. I pray that the Holy Spirit will lead us into reflection and an examination this week. Let's lift our hands as we sing the song Submerged by Amen. Let's pray that the Holy Spirit will lead us into His thoughts, reflection, and examination. soul is dry with barely any strength left running as fast as I can isn't fast enough anger too long in the forbidden land where my heart and my legs turn to rust 
this is where this is where I'm This is where This is where This is where Always belong I swim through I swim through your currents I sink into your waves Submerge in your love I breathe under eternal blue And dive in oceanic you Submerge in your love Submerge in your love May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. All God's people pray. Amen. God bless you. Happy Sunday! We're so glad that you're tuned in to our Sunday service. My name is Haley, and here are today's community news. If you're a member here at 180 Church, we encourage you to keep God at the center of your finances. Admission is free, but mission isn't. We can give conveniently through apps like Venmo, PayPal, and QuickPay. New to faith, exploring, and seeking God? Check out a small group to help you in your journey. Small groups are a place to connect with others and go deeper into the message. Different groups meet throughout the week at 7.30 p.m. For more information to get plugged in, check out our website at 180 Church on TV or scan the QR code. Visit us at the AMC Movie Theater on 19th Street and Broadway. But you won't see us there next week because we'll be at the Great Hill in Central Park for our Day in the Sun event, or Games in the Sun. We'll resume service at the theater on July 2nd. Don't worry if you can't make it, you can always tune in live on YouTube at 12.10 p.m. Please mark your calendars for our 180 retreat. It will take place on Labor Day weekend this year from September 2nd to the 4th. That's a Saturday to a Monday. The location will be at a residence inn in Secaucus, Meadowlands. Please look out for an RSVP link in your email for further details. We have plenty of resources. If there was a highlight or a message that resonated with you on our various social media platforms, please remember to like, share, and subscribe. But if you prefer to share the gospel through Goodreads, why not purchase a book from our suggested devotionals? Are you feeling burdened and in need of prayer? Take a minute to pause and pray. If you need a little extra help, you can always send an email to prayer at 180church.tv. Thank you so much for tuning into our remote service. We look forward to seeing you next week. Bye!